I'm so glad you're tuning in. I want to welcome uh, just everyone who's a Gospel City Church member all across the city. I also want to welcome our Elkhart campus who's joining us. And then I want to welcome you if you're a guest today. Uh, There's plenty of people probably tuning into this today because you weren't able to go to church of some sort. And uh, we're thankful that you would take the time to tune in with us here at Gospel City. But if you have your Bible, I hope you have your Bible with you. Open to Luke chapter 18, and we're going to be in verses 18 through 30. Hopefully you have a physical copy of God's Word. I was saying a little bit ago that now's like the worst time ever to only have one device that you use your Bible on, because it's like if I tell you to turn to your Bible uh, to Luke, uh, you're going to cut off the stream at some point. And so it's a great, it's a great day to have a physical copy of God's Word in front of you. Uh, but uh, as you're turning there, I just wanted to address sort of the things that are going on and the current state that we're in of not gathering together. You know, last week there was some newness and some momentum around uh, going online. And this week it's going to feel naturally less urgent. And the longer we do church this way, it'll feel a little less urgent every single time. And I want to encourage you uh, to not allow yourself to go there. This is a very important gathering of God's people all across the city. And, uh, you know, even as Gospel City Church, the gathering is a big part of who we are. The gathering is a big part of our discipleship. We say that disciples of Jesus glorify and gather and grow and go. And yet, what do you do whenever the gathering looks a whole lot different than we're used to it uh, being? And the truth is today, uh, we, we, it, we hopefully won't take for granted the gathering uh, that we're so used to. And I can't wait for the day when we gather together again in one place. And I just imagine uh, the roar of voices that will take place in this room because we're so thankful to be together. Because as people, we do need one another, right? As the body of Christ, for sure, we need one another. The Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And in order for a piece of iron to be sharpened, you got to kind of rub it together. It's got to have some contact. And so it is for us as the people of God. And so I just want to encourage you uh, to continue to press into your discipleship, continue to find creative ways uh, through the internet and through all the devices that we have and through all the programs that we can gather together in a digital format and challenge one another and pray for one another and love one another. I hope you miss your pastors and your leaders as much as we miss you. I've been in several different meetings this week where we've prayed for you and we're just like, man, are we doing the right things? Are we helping people enough? Are we caring for people? And we're hearing back some just awesome things. We're really proud of the ways that you're serving one another and you're loving one another and you're finding creative ways to continue your discipleship. Let's not give up on that, okay? That's so important to the body of Christ and to our own uh, Christ-likeness. But as we start today, I'm not going to pretend like you're not staring into a device of some sort and I'm not preaching to a camera rather than your beautiful faces, okay? I'm not going to pretend that. I would love to see your beautiful face today, but as you tune in, we're doing it purposefully. And also, I'm not going to pretend that you're not in a distraction-free environment. If you're like my wife, uh, you're trying to tune in to worship service today and you probably have kids of all different ages and they're driving cars around the floor, they need to go to the bathroom or they need a diaper change or they're just asking a lot of questions, 
Let me encourage you with this today. Your kids are not a distraction. Maybe today they can help you with your childlike faith. Maybe you can help them see something from God's word today. Uh, But let's just resolve this together. Wherever we are, all across the city, all across this country, wherever you are, let's make today all about Jesus Christ. Wherever we are at our dinner tables, in our conversation, in the things that we do today, let's make it all about Jesus Christ. That's what this day is about, okay? We worship him together and we go to God's word together. So hopefully you got your Bible and you're open to Luke chapter 18. We're going to be in verses 18 through 30. And uh, Jesus is continuing his ministry that we've seen uh, the last several weeks in our series of living faith. He's dealing with those who come up in the crowd and the different situations. And today we're going to encounter the one that we would most recognize as the rich young ruler, okay? Uh, this young man comes up, and this, this account is actually in three of the four Gospels. And uh, the big idea that we want to take away from today's message and this passage is this, living faith sees Jesus as more desirable than anything this life could give or death could take. Living faith sees Jesus as far more valuable than anything this life could give or death could take. What would be too much for God to ask of you in order to follow him? What would be too much for God to ask you to give up in order to follow Jesus? If we were to peel back the layers of your life, What would be the things that you hold most tightly to, that you hold so close to yourself that if you were challenged to give that up and to follow Jesus, you would have a hard time? Today we're going to encounter a similar situation with the rich young ruler. And so wherever you are, let's get our eyes on a copy of God's Word and now hear the Word of the Lord together. In verse 18, and a ruler asked him, good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. And when Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and the age to come eternal life. 
And so in God's word today, uh, we're introduced to this young man. We know if we fill in the blanks from all the gospel accounts that this was a young man and he was a rich man and he was a ruler. Uh, This young man had built for himself an impressive resume at a young age. He was was in high standing with the religious leaders and among uh, the the religious uh, people of that day. And he was moral and he had kept the law and he was well acquainted with the law and yet even with that impressive resume and even with the leadership that he had accrued at a young age and even with the wealth that he had built for himself, he is by his own omission empty. He's by his own omission missing something, feeling the emptiness. By his own omission, he is spiritually dead. And so we see this young man run to Jesus. And in verse 18, it says, and the ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I pray that at some point in your life, you have asked the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I believe many people probably ponder that question, but not a lot of people ask that question. That's the greatest question that any Christian, any believer could ever be asked. And here is Jesus, and this young man just runs up to him. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Imagine if you got on a plane one day to go somewhere, and you sit down beside somebody that you don't know, and you get in your seat, and that person looks over at you and says, excuse me, ma'am, or excuse me, sir, what, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Like your jaw would hit the floor if you're a Christian, you'd be like, is this, is this for real? Like this is the best question any believer could ever be asked. Kids, if there's any kids out there listening today, this is a great question for you to ask your mom or dad today. Hey, hey mom or dad, how can I know that I'm going to heaven? What, what do I need to know or what do I need to do so that I can know I'm going to heaven? And for anyone out there today, this is a great question to ponder and to ask, even as our freedom to come and go has sort of been stifled. And as the news reports about this life-threatening disease, this virus that's sweeping across our nation, a great question today to ponder, a great question to ask would be, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This rich young ruler, he asked that very question to Jesus. And look in verse 19, and Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. So Jesus here, he's helping this young man and he's helping us today with our theology. See, Jesus was very aware that uh, the religious leaders of that day, they wouldn't flippantly use the word good. They, they would reserve that word for holy things. As hypocritical, as pharisaical as we have seen and known them to be, they wouldn't just throw around the word good. And yet this young man runs to Jesus and calls him a good teacher. Was it because he recognized that Jesus is God? We see later in the story that that's not the case, but obviously this man saw that Jesus had something that he didn't. But the theological things that Jesus is helping us with today is first this, there is no one who is good. The Bible says in Romans, there is none righteous, no, not one. It also says in Romans that we all fall short of the glory of God. And yet as Christians and as human beings, we're really good at using the word good to justify our own righteousness, right? Like we build a standard of righteousness based on what we believe is good all the time. We'll say, oh, she's a good girl or 
man, you are a good man, or they do really good things. But what Jesus is helping this rich young ruler understand is there is no one good, no human being who is good. Even Jesus, who was good, deflects the title of good to reserve it for God alone. The second thing Jesus is helping us with today is this, God's standard of goodness is the only one that matters. God's standard of goodness is the only one that matters in this life. In the book of Isaiah, uh, it says that our good deeds are as filthy rags compared to God. The good things that you and I do as human beings, the good deeds that we do, when compared to the goodness of God, they look like filthy, dirty rags. That's how good God is, and that's the only standard of goodness that matters. And so, as human beings, when we stand up next to the goodness of God, we look like sinful people in need of a Savior. And so, Jesus begins to rightfully size this man, even rightfully sizes his own humanity, though he was God in the flesh. And then Jesus takes him straight to the law. Kind of interesting. Jesus says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. Jesus gives him five of the Ten Commandments. And then look what the rich young ruler says. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. So obviously, this young man was well acquainted with the law. Obviously, he was a moral young man. He was everything that you would want a young man to be. He followed the rules. He did the right things. Was he deceived? Absolutely. The Bible says that our hearts are deceitfully wicked above all things. And so maybe this young man had never murdered someone, maybe he had never committed adultery, maybe he had never even stolen anything, but I, you know, I've yet to meet someone who hasn't told a little white lie at some point in their life. Uh, even as a youth, even as a young man, like he says, I, I've yet to meet someone who doesn't dishonor their father or mother in some way. And yet, this young man, he's using the law here to justify his goodness. He's using the law to say, you know, I've kept all these things. I'm a good person. I deserve to be seen as good and have this gift of eternal life. Jesus, he doesn't even correct him. He doesn't say anything. Why did Jesus take him to the law is the question. I think Jesus took him to the law because of what the law is meant to be. See, the law was never meant to show us that we are good people. The law is never meant to show us that we can earn God's goodness. The first thing that we can take away from today is this, eternal life cannot be earned. Eternal life cannot be earned. And this man, he was trying to live his entire life earning the favor of God by working really hard to keep the law. And yet we know from Jesus' teaching that if you break one law, you're guilty of the whole law. And by breaking one law, it's enough to condemn you to hell for all of eternity. And so this young man's using the law to justify his goodness when the law is supposed to show us our need for a savior. See, when God gave the law, it was never so that we could say, oh, look how good I am. When God gave the law, it was never so that we could say, man, I've kept all those things. God must be really proud of me. No, God gave the law knowing that as human beings, we could never keep the law on our own. 
And so the law actually shows us our need for a savior. The law shows us that we are not righteous and that we are in need of God. And yet Jesus doesn't even correct him. Jesus doesn't rebuke him. Jesus doesn't say, dude, you're lying through your teeth right now. Jesus simply heard this and he said to him, one thing you still lack. One thing you still lack. The second thing that we can take away from this passage today is this, eternal life only comes through Jesus. Eternal life only comes through Jesus. So he was spending his days trying to earn eternal life. And Jesus takes him to the law. And then here we see Jesus says, one thing you still lack. Eternal life only comes through Jesus. Here's the opportunity that Jesus gives this young man. He says, sell all that you have and distribute it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me was the one thing that this young man lacked that day, the ability to sell all that he had and give it to the poor. No, Jesus just knew that that was going to be the thing that would trip this man up. That was going to be the hurdle that this man was not willing to get over in order to follow that one thing that he needed. And that one thing is Jesus Christ. If you're asking the question today, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The rich young ruler gives us a great example that you cannot earn it. You can't work really hard and earn the favor of God by how good you are. But you can trust that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one gets to God except through him. So Jesus challenges him to sell all that he has and distribute it to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Hey, all the stuff that you have here on earth, let that go and just come and follow me. I'm the one thing that you're missing. I'm the one thing that you're lacking. You've been a moral man. You're an upstanding man. You're a great man, but you need Jesus who is the way, the truth, and the life. Come and follow me. Get rid of all that stuff. And I promise you will inherit the kingdom of God. You will have treasures in heaven. Verse 23 But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. So Jesus challenges this man, but he becomes very sad because he had a lot of things. And judging by the character of this young man, he probably had invested really well. And he probably had created for himself uh, just a great um, nest egg so that he could take care of those who would come after him, so that he could take care of those that would go before him, his parents. And he probably accumulated some great comfort and some great satisfaction and some great leadership and standing among people. And Jesus is like, hey, get rid of all of that. Come and follow me. And this young man gets very sad for he was very rich. And then Jesus seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. What a statement. How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. What I think Jesus is saying is how difficult it is for someone who has a whole lot of comfort and a whole lot of satisfaction here on this earth and doesn't need a whole lot. How, how difficult it is for someone with all of that comfort and all of that satisfaction to depend on a savior, to realize that they aren't self-sufficient, but they need to follow the only one 
who can save their soul. And you might be thinking, yeah, those rich people, they can't enter the kingdom of God. And yet the reality is, if you're watching today, you're probably watching on uh, multiple devices that you have in your home. And you probably woke up under a roof today and you probably put on clothes so that you could go down and get breakfast and so that you could tune into this church. God help people to be wearing clothes today as they tune into church. Uh, But but the reality is, uh, uh, you're in the comfort of your own home. And by being an American, you could be considered rich. You could have a whole lot of things surrounding you that are comfortable and that satisfy you and that you've built for yourself. And it would be really easy to rely on those things rather than find our need for a savior who is Jesus. And then Jesus, he says this crazy statement. Hey, if there's any kids out there today, listen to this statement. Any kids, Jesus said to the young man, For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to go to the kingdom of God. Check this out. So I brought brought with myself here a needle, okay? And so this is a sewing needle. So if there's any kids out there, the eye of a needle is, the eye of the needle is this tiny little hole that's at the top of a needle. And if I was sewing, I would like lick the end of this string, which isn't sanitary today. And, uh, and I would stick it through that hole and I'd tie a knot so that I could sew, okay? And so you see how that, it's hard to get a piece of string through that hole. You see how small it is? Now, Jesus is like, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, that tiny little hole, than it is for a rich person to get to heaven. Do y'all think a camel could go through that hole? Any kids out there? Like I brought, I brought this camel with me. This is from our nativity set that we've yet to put away at our house, okay? And, uh, and do you think I could get this camel through that tiny little hole? What do you think? I, I mean, I'm just, I'm thinking there's no way that this camel can go through that tiny little hole. I can twist it and I can push it. And I could even smash this camel up into a bunch of little pieces. And I bet I couldn't get even a piece to go through that tiny little hole. And Jesus, he's talking about a real camel, not not some pretend camel. And Jesus says, it's easier to get a camel through a tiny hole in a needle than for a rich person to get to heaven. So here's what I think Jesus is saying, kids. Do you have like a toy that you really love, like a toy that's your favorite toy and you don't like to share it. You don't, you always put it in one specific spot and you don't want anybody to mess with it. And it's like your favorite thing. You love playing with it and you take care of it. You have a toy like that. Uh, It'd be like Jesus coming along and saying, hey, I want you to give your toy away. I want you to get rid of that toy and just follow me. See, that's kind of what Christianity is all about. It's coming to see Jesus as far more valuable than our favorite toy, the greatest thing that we could ever have, the greatest thing that we could ever put value to. So anyone else listening today, it's really as if Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to get rid of all those comforts, all those things that you hold, adults, the toys that we build up for ourselves. It's, it's cool to have nice things, but it's not great when our things have us. Jesus is like, you gotta set everything aside that you hold more valuable than me, or you will lack the one thing 
that can save you and reconcile you to God. It's really a huge statement. And the truth is, there's no way a camel could ever get through the eye of a needle and Jesus knew it. And so everyone listening is like, wait, wait, it's impossible for a rich man to get to heaven. And look in verse 26, those who heard it said, then who can be saved, Jesus? Jesus was really pressing in on the theology of that day. You remember, we heard this in early in the Living Faith series that that the religious leaders of that day, the Pharisees of that day, they believed this theology, that the more you have, the more blessed you are by God. And so really in their theology was this idea that you could buy your way into heaven, that you could earn God's favor by having blessing here on earth. And the more you stack up, then the closer you must be to God. And so eternal life is a shoe in for those people who have gained all this stuff on earth. And yet the people listening as Jesus talks to the rich young ruler says, those who heard it, they asked who can be saved? In verse 27, Jesus said, what is impossible with man? Stop there. Eternal life is impossible with man. Salvation is impossible with man by our own works. The Bible says it's a gift of God, not of works, or we would boast. If you could get saved by the good things that you do or the amount of stuff that you accrue, then we would be boasting all day long, just like the Pharisees were doing. Oh, I'm not like other men. I'm higher and I'm richer and I'm better and uh, God has blessed me. Favor isn't fair. But he says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. What is impossible with man is possible with God today. John 3, 16, kids, you can help me out. It says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God, he knew that no one could earn their way to heaven, that no one could earn their way into a right standing with God, that no one could keep the law. And so God, in his grace and in his mercy, he sent forth his only son who was perfect, who lived a perfect life, who did uphold the law, who never sinned, who never did anything wrong. And yet he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus shed his innocent blood so that you might turn your back on the things of this world and follow him, so that you might repent and believe and follow him and know that your treasure is in heaven. What is impossible with man is possible with God. You can turn to him today the third thing that Jesus wants us to take from today's text is this, eternal life is worth far more than it could ever cost. Eternal life is worth far more than it could ever cost. Jesus talking to this rich young ruler is like, hey, give up everything that you have. Sell it all, give it away. And is that a cost? Yeah, absolutely that's a cost. It's a sacrifice. And yet, the treasures to come, the treasures in heaven are so much greater, 
so much more magnificent than anything this world could ever offer. And so in following Jesus, we choose to put our hope in things that are above, not in the things that are of this world. And Peter, he said, see, we have left our homes and we have followed you. So here's Peter, leave it to Peter to, to speak up, right? But Peter, he speaks up in the moment and he's like, hey, we, we've done that. Like we did what you asked. And, and Peter wasn't probably an extremely rich man. Peter and John and some of these disciples, they weren't extremely rich, but they, had, they were small business owners. Like they had a fishing business and that was their livelihood and they put their sweat and tears into building that business and that was their stance in society. And that's how they worked to make ends meet and provide for their families and provide for their care. And one day Jesus shows up on the scene and he's like, y'all wanna be fishers of men? And they're like, say what? And Jesus is like, hey, just, just come and follow me. And what did the disciples do? They're like, oh, I, I, can't, I can't give up this. This is my livelihood. This is my business. This is what God's asked me to do. This is how I earn my way up the ladder of success in society. No, the disciples, they dropped their nets and they left it all behind. And they followed the King of Kings. They followed Jesus, forsaking the things of this world to run after the one that could take them to a better city, a better world, a new kingdom. Verse 29, Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. I take great heart in that verse. I'm thankful for that truth from our savior, Jesus. It makes me think about Jim Elliott, the early missionary. You've heard this story, but Jim felt called to go to an unreached people group and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And people told him it was dangerous and yet he felt compelled to go and speak the good news and share the love of Jesus with someone who had never heard it. And when his group landed on the ground and when they went in to share the love of Jesus, I don't know what words were said, I don't know what they got out, but very shortly after they were killed and murdered as they stepped foot into this place. And the story's crazy, like later on in life, Jim Elliott's wife went back to that place where he was killed. And some of the men who were responsible for Jim Elliott's death actually came to know Jesus. And the love of Christ spread throughout those people. And yet something that Jim Elliott said, even probably to people who were questioning his boldness to go to a place where the gospel had never been shared. And some people probably speculated, man, you're going to die if you go there. Jim Elliott said this, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep. You're not a fool today if you do things God's way. You're not a fool today if you choose to honor Christ with your integrity. You're not a fool today. If you choose to give away something in order to follow Jesus, you're not a fool today if you give up what you cannot keep 
See, when death comes, you can't take anything with you. We heard it last week. You're not taking a U-Haul to heaven with you. That stuff's gonna rot in the ground. But you're not a fool if you give up what you cannot keep to gain what you cannot lose. Man, the treasures in heaven are unfathomable. The inheritance of his grace. Someone sent me an article the other day talking about the reward that will come with heaven. And I was just overwhelmed as I read it to think, who am I to even stand in the presence of Jesus? I'm just gonna be out of my mind pumped that I get to go and be in the presence of Jesus. I'm not expecting a reward and yet God gives good gifts. It's hard to see sometimes in the midst of the fight. It's hard to see sometimes in the midst of the battle. It's hard to see sometimes whenever we do have earthly comfort. But living faith sees Jesus as so much more valuable than anything this life could give or death could take. You can't earn salvation. You can't earn eternal life. It only comes through following Jesus. But I can promise you this today, it is worth it. Wherever you are, I want you to bow your heads. I don't know the situations of those who are tuning in this morning, but I pray that you are hearing that Jesus loves you, that God hasn't left it up to man what is impossible. God sent forth his only son to be the substitute for our sins. He died on a cross in our place as a substitute for what we have done for our inability to keep the laws of God. And Jesus, he desires that you would turn from your sin and you would follow him. Wherever you are, you can do that right now. You can say, Lord, forgive me. I'm a sinner. I'm in need of a savior who is Jesus. I don't wanna do this life on my own. I wanna turn from my sin and I want to follow you. I don't want to store up treasure here on earth. I want to store up treasure in heaven and follow Jesus. And so Lord, would you forgive me of my sin? Say that to the Lord. God, would you forgive me of my wicked ways? Say that to the Lord. And God, would you allow me to receive the free gift of salvation this day? Lord, I pray for all my friends who are tuning in right now. There's no greater message that we could give our lives to than that of the message that God sent forth his son Jesus to be the substitute for our sins. He made a way that we wouldn't have to try to earn the favor of God here on earth that could never be earned. He made a way that we might die to ourselves and pick up our cross and follow Jesus. And so Lord, I pray for anyone who's listening right now that they would do just that, that they would repent and believe and follow Christ. And even in these days of uncertainty, even these days of questions, even in these days that leave us a little anxious and maybe even fearful. God, I pray that you would fill us with faith to believe that you are in control, to believe that you alone are God, to believe that you have the power, that you have the strength, that you hold the glory and that you are worthy. Christ, would you be magnified in this place? 
In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I leave you with the words that we started this entire service with. I won't bow to idols. I'll stand tall and worship you. And if it puts me through the fire, then I'll rejoice because you're there too. And I won't be formed by feelings. I'll hold fast to what is true. And if the cross brings transformation, you can hang me there with you. Because if death is just a doorway into resurrection life, then I'll join you in the suffering and I'll join you when you rise. And when you return in glory with all the angels and the saints, I'm still gonna be singing this song. My song will be the same. Come on, let's sing it wherever we are.